everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. As it says in the description for this podcast, I am sharing my adventure of watching Little House on the Prairie for the first time. And oh my goodness, the opening scene in this particular episode? Whoa. I'm 42 years old, and I have watched a number of things on television over the years, and they really went there. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and just give a fair warning. If you've never seen this episode before, it's it well, it's not even a little. It is just flat out brutal. However, it is a little house on the prairie, so we shouldn't dwell on the matters of that opening scene for too long because there's a whole other story that continues after the fact. Oh, and also, this episode of Little House is a two-part, so the recap today is going to be a little bit longer than usual. So sit back and enjoy, and with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Remember Me and was written and directed by Michael Landon. Now, the first episode premiered on November 5th, 1975, and the concluding episode was a week later on November 12th. We begin with an interior shot of a barn. It's a low angle, and we are actually greeted by a scene of a mother dog nursing her puppies. In the background, the barn doors open up, and a man steps in, and he's carrying a sack and he proceeds to bag those puppies and leave. The mother dog is just laying there. She doesn't move, but she does whimper a little bit. Outside, that bag of puppies is placed into the back of a wagon. We get a quick shot of what it looks like inside the bag with those three puppies, and one of them manages to find the entrance of that bag and sticks its head out. At this time, that mother dog has come to the door and watches this puppy emerge. And just like that, the wagon starts to roll away, and the mom and those pups are forever separated. We get a lasting slash lingering shot of this mother dog as the wagon is going away, and again, all we hear are whimpers. Not sure exactly how far this wagon has traveled, but it eventually stops. The driver of the wagon hops out, and we only see his feet walking towards the back of the wagon, but we also see him stop and pick up a large stone. And he carries that stone to the back of the wagon and places it next to that sack of puppies. And I have to confess, my first thought was, is he going to smash those puppies? But that would be too brutal and a little too graphic to even suggest on Little House on the Prairie. No, what he does with that stone is he places it inside the sack with the puppies and then ties that sack close. And sorry, not sorry, sweet Jesus, he is right at the edge of a pond. This is definitely not one of those good old days on the prairie. But right on cue, Mary and Laura come running into scene and Laura yells out, What you doing, mister? And that's when she hears the sound He's got puppies in there! And Laura is doing all that she can with her voice to try to stop this man from doing what he's about to do. She even turns to her sister, do something, Mary! And, well, all Mary does is also protest. You can't drown them! At this point, the man picks up a stick and threatens to beat the girls if if they do not leave him alone. And with no other choice, the girls do run away. And WTF, we watch him throw this sack into the pond. He then gets into his wagon and leaves. Although Mary and Laura did run away, they didn't run far. And when that man is gone, they dive headfirst into that water. And while I hate to be the voice of reality, but the time it took that man to get back into his wagon and leave, ooh, sadly, that is quite a bit of time that has passed. We do get a few underwater shots of Mary and Laura looking for this sack of puppies. And FYI, I am all for the floating pigtails these girls are sporting as they are underwater. It's big sister Mary who eventually finds the bag, but I have to also say as she tries to make it to shore, this bag is still remaining under the water. And at the shore, she announces, I don't hear anything. 
and Laura is desperately trying to untie that bag. She hands it over to Mary, who is struggling and saying that she's doing the best that she can. And when the bag does eventually open, Mary pulls out not one, not two, but three soaked to the skin puppies who are whimpering and really have no idea what just happened. However, there's still a little weight left in the bag and Mary, who is appalled and on the verge of tears, says that there's one more and she cannot bring herself to look into the bag. Laura offers to check, but she also notices that nothing is moving and that's when Mary reaches inside and announces, it's a rock. And I just have to say that is awesome because I had absolutely forgotten about that rock. I was more concerned about those puppies and well, thank goodness, they are all safe. We cut to the Ingalls barn and Caroline is bringing in the girls to see these puppies. Charles is observing them as they are all just settling in. The comment is made that Jack is there to lend his warmth. And according to Charles, it looks like the pups appreciate it. Laura announces, I bet he thinks that he's their ma. Mary, trying to be factual, says, well, he can't because he's a boy. But Caroline interjects and says, well, Jack is doing what he knows is best, regardless of the ma or pa identity. Charles then announces that their new task will be trying to find all the puppies a home. Mary suggests that they could take the puppies into school for show and tell, and if somebody then wanted one, they could adopt it. Charles likes the idea of advertising for the puppies, but does say no to the idea of immediately having the puppies adopted. It's best to let the parents know first before they are taken home. At this point, Laura claims that she's not going to tell Nellie Olson about the puppies, and Charles wonders, well, why not? She would give the puppy a good home. And of course, the thought going through my head is, what about Alfred, the bloodhound? We haven't heard about him since the family quarrel episode. Laura states that Nellie Olson would feed the puppy, but not love it. At this point, Charles and Caroline send the girls inside, but they stay in the barn to watch those puppies. And as the scene comes to an ending, Caroline wonders if Jack will miss these puppies. And Charles, you're worse than the girls. We cut to the next morning, and Laura is running from the house to the barn to see those puppies. Outside, Charles is hitching up a horse. Laura, sticking her head out, inquires if she can bring one of the puppies to school. There is a very quick no ma'am from Charles. And poof! All of a sudden, the Sandersons show up. The who? The Sanderson family consists of one mom and three kids, two older boys and a young daughter. Laura mentions the puppies and takes the kids inside the barn. At this time, Charles addresses Mrs. Sanderson and says he will be over in the afternoon to get the harrowing done. Mrs. Sanderson slightly shoots that idea down and suggests that she'll just borrow Charles's team and she'll get the work done. Charles greets that with a no and claims, your husband did a lot of favors over the years. This is all just payback. Now, dear listeners, repeat that after me. Over the years. Time just runs differently in the prairie verse. From here, Mrs. Sanderson heads over to the house, and we are informed that Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards are coming over. Grace is going to be heading into town with Caroline, and Mrs. Sanderson asks if she can tag along. And of course, the more company, the merrier. We cut to the kids and the puppies inside that barn. Laura is busy retelling the story of how they came in possession of the puppies. I wish I was bigger. I would have taken a stick to that man. The Sanderson siblings have decided that they all want a puppy, but they're pretty sure that mom would not take to the idea. And Laura, thinking about the future, well, he won't be a pup for long. Pretty soon, you'll have a watchdog. At this point in the conversation, we find out that two of the kids' names are John Jr., and Alicia. And it is decided that Alicia should be the one to ask for this puppy because she is rarely denied anything. And before she agrees to this, she says, well, if I ask, can I name him? And I have to applaud that, clever girl. And dear listeners, what is the name that little Alicia is deciding on? Mine. I'm going to name him Mine. 
Outside, Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards show up. They exchange a wink and a smile, and Grace Snyder leans in and kisses him as he's ready to leave. Mr. Edwards then protests, Don't do that in front of people! Grace Snyder giggles and does a little double look as she heads inside the house. Mr. Edwards then climbs up onto the wagon next to Charles, and while looking over at his friend, Charles says, Marry that woman! And looking back over at his friend, Mr. Edwards states, That's the trouble with having friends. They offer you advice. And the two men ride away. On their way to school, the Sanderson siblings and the Ingalls kids, they're pulling a Melrose Place walk. They're all walking shoulder to shoulder on their way to school. The conversation is, of course, of how Alicia is going to eventually ask for this puppy. I can't ask and be sad with everyone watching. And I just have to say, I'm not sure the age difference between Alicia and Carrie, but ooh, Alicia is so much more articulate. And well, she must be old enough to go to school. But in the meantime, she heads over by a tree and starts to fake cry. At this time, Grace Snyder is retelling about Mr. Edwards' reaction about being kissed. Caroline and Mrs. Sanderson laugh, and then they spot Alicia. And well, Alicia is doing her trick slash magic. And Mrs. Sanderson, she's onto this. And she promises she will give her answer. But she needs to know, truthfully, did your brothers put you up to this? And looking into her mother's face, Alicia replies, yes, um. And well, the answer is yes, they may have that puppy. Overjoyed, Alicia runs to join her siblings and the Ingalls. I can have him! Mine is ours! Hooray! Mrs. Sanderson proclaims how hard, if not impossible, it is to say no to the children. She continues how strict their father was, but they always would go to him and ask him for things. Grace Snyder then makes the comment of how hard it would be to say no. But she's never going to really know because she's never going to have a child until Isaiah says yes to marriage. The group eventually makes it to Walnut Grove, and the kids, minus Carrie, all head to school. Caroline invites Mrs. Sanderson and her kids to come and have a picnic lunch with them on Sunday, before heading most likely to the mercantile. And just before getting into the post office, Grace Snyder finally says it. Bye-bye, Julia! as she heads into the office. And meanwhile, Julia Sanderson is heading to Doc Baker's office and shut the front door, which she does in the next scene. Julia Sanderson had actually planned to go to Doc Baker's office. And when inside, Doc Baker is acting a little surprised and mentions how Julia is a little bit earlier than usual. And that's when Julia Sanderson says, well, you said if any changes happened to come see you. Now, there's a bit of rambling that goes on in this scene before we get to the vital information that we're all waiting for. Julia Sanderson has some swollen glands and comments to Doc Baker, you think it's happening faster than you thought. And Doc Baker is silent, which is something Julia Sanderson is not willing to accept. Be honest with me, no matter what. Can you give me an idea of how long I got? And well, it's not good. Do I have a month? A year? Weeks? There's nothing but silence from Doc Baker. Anytime? And that's when Doc Baker does a head nod. He moves to the back of the room and Julia Sanderson gets up, thanks Doc Baker, and leaves. We cut to Julia Sanderson walking over a hill and looking at her home. Charles is over there working the fields, as he's promised, and approaching him, Julia Sanderson makes the joke, uh, you sure picked the hottest day. There's a slight chuckle from Charles. And well, Julia Sanderson's attention goes from him to her house, then to the sounds of her children playing with the new puppy. Charles, I'm gonna die. Dog Baker's confirmed it. It's gonna be soon. That's heck of a thing to tell a neighbor. And yeah, Charles is silent. And she confesses she is now 100% busy into looking for a home for her children. And with Charles on the verge of tears, Julia Sanderson says, I need your help. 
not your sympathy right now. And I'll applaud that. And Charles, replying through his near tears, says he's sorry. And he's ready to assist Julia Sanderson however he can. He makes the suggestion that the Sandersons should come to church. And after the service, they can plead their case then. She applauds his quick thinking, but then follows it with, Well, I don't want them taken in by someone who feels sorry for them. Pity wears off quickly and is a poor substitute for love. And it finally dawns on Charles. They don't know yet, do they? Julia Sanderson concludes with, No, I'm going to tell them tonight. She then makes Charles promise that if the task is not complete before she passes away, that he'll take up that mantle and find a home for her children. And Charles makes that promise. P.S. Charles is blinking like crazy in this scene to hold back those tears. Julia Sanderson then leaves Charles where he's at and heads to her house. And walking home, the kids come running outside with that new puppy. It's spliced with Charles finally crying. And we cut to a fire inside the Sanderson's house in their fireplace. And it's a nice, cozy setting for their little talk. Julia begins by reminding them when their father died and how they promised they would all see each other again. Little Alicia mentions, oh yes, in heaven. And that's the moment when Julia Sanderson spills the tea. Well, the good Lord has decided I will see him very soon. And it slowly dawns on the children. The eldest one starts to cry realizing what has just been said and Julia Sanderson puts a stop to that. There is no reason for that for someone who is going to heaven. Now stop that crying. You're crying for yourself and not for me. These kids are a little grief-stricken. Not surprised. But Julia Sanderson states, if you love me, you'll help me get things done. And that's when she relays having to find a home and the plan to attend church on Sunday. You are going to be dressed up and be proud because you are John Sanderson's children. Now off to bed. It's the next day and it's a very foggy view from the barn slash loft slash studio apartment over at the Ingalls house. Inside the house, Laura claims Christy's dad said she can have one of the puppies. Caroline's not too sure of the idea of bringing a puppy to church. Laura throws it out there that the puppy can wait in the wagon, and Charles is okay with this idea as long as Christy's dad said yes. And with that, there's only one more pup to try to find a home for. While all of this is going on, there are small glances between Charles and Caroline because they both know what's going to happen after today's service. And speaking of which, we cut to the church and Old Reliable bringing in the sheaves is being sung. The Ingalls are there, the Olsons are there, Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards. There's another Colonel Sanders look-alike, and it also looks like Mrs. Foster is there. When the singing is done, Reverend Alden invites Julia Sanderson and company to come to the front to share their news. And she starts off with, well, if you don't know who I am, I'm the Widow Sanderson, and these are my children, John Jr., Carl, and Alicia. She claims she's going to be direct as possible because it is warm inside the church and Reverend Alden did get a little long-winded today. And that's when she spills the tea. I'm dying and I need help. I love how she is so direct. She concludes with, this is not a rash decision. It takes nine months to have a child and I'm asking you to take three. And well, that's all she says. If Julia Sanderson was holding on to a mic, she would have dropped it just now. The Sandersons leave and it's an semi-awkward silence inside of that church. And I have to add, even Nellie Olson looks genuinely upset. Silently, the congregation leaves row by row and outside we see two girls dressed in green dresses. There's no significance, it just seems slightly awkward. And as you can imagine, it's a very sullen scene as everyone is leaving. That's until Julia Sanderson yells out, Charles, where are we going to picnic? And we are informed Grover Oaks is the destination. And it sounds dandy. These two wagons, full of friends, 
head off to picnic. FYI, Grover Oaks is the Six Flags fishing pond, aka Willow Lake, just with additional foliage. While most of the group is off playing a game, Julia Sanderson celebrates the playfulness of the whole scene. Laura's in the background looking as though she's ready to ask a question leaning up against a tree, and Grace Snyder and Caroline are busy setting up the picnic. However, Julia Sanderson notes she's never seen the two of them be so quiet before. There's a slight chuckle for me on that. She continues that there's no reason the men should be the only ones playing. And with that, those two women go ahead and join the rest of the group, and Laura is still staying behind, making the excuse that she's going to watch the ants and make sure they don't get all over the picnic. We then get a long scene of blindfolded tag. Mr. Edwards and Alicia are it, and they are sporting a blue and red hanky, respectively, and while Laura is watching from the sidelines. We cut to a flower floating down the stream, Laura continues to watch this as Charles comes over and informs her it's time to eat. She says she's not hungry, but it's fried chicken. At this point, Laura mentions that she's a little scared to be near Julia Sanderson. And oh spit, this is a nice callback to if I should wake before I die. It seems as though Miss Amy Hearn is always with us. Laura confesses she's just worried because... Julia Sanderson is almost as old as Caroline, and truth be told, no, she's not. He continues, you can't spend your life worrying about dying. You can't worry your life away on what ifs, because that's Mary's job. Charles continues, you hear that? Life is about laughter and loving each other, memories to sustain us until we see them again, and it's okay to be afraid. And in the meantime, let's get some fried chicken. From here, we cut to a rainy evening at the Ingalls. There's a knock on the door, and Dog Baker is there, and it's not good. Julia Sanderson has collapsed, and she has asked to see Caroline and Charles. And over at the Sandersons, Reverend Alden is there next to Julia Sanderson, and she makes a request, handing him an envelope, to read it out loud after the service. You go on long enough these days. Reverend Alden admits that brevity is not a strong point of his. She follows it up with, Don't mumble, read it loud and clear. And at this time, Charles and Caroline show up. Julia Sanderson begins, Come sit by me. There's never enough time. And you made a promise, Charles, and it's up to you now. We are informed that until the children are found a home, Grace Snyder will be the foster parent. She makes a comment about the rain and how it sounds like it will be a good crop this year before requesting the children come into the room. John Jr., Carl, and Alicia gather around their mom, and we have a lasting, lingering shot of the Sandersons together as the camera slowly zooms outwards into the rain, and we get a jump cut to the headstone of Julia Sanderson. Reverend Alden is there, reading Psalms 121.1 to 121.8. Amen. And it is now time for the contents of the letter. And opening it up, Reverend Alden reads, Remember me with smiles and laughter, for that is how I will remember you all. If you can only remember me with tears, then don't remember me at all. Finishing up, Reverend Alden folds up the letter and says out loud, loud and clear. As those who attended the funeral are leaving, Charles is approached by Mr. and Mr. Anders, a new couple we've never met before or even heard about, and they know that at this moment it is not the best time to discuss things, but they do want to talk about the children. Charles instructs them to come over after 8 p.m., which seems a little late on the prairie. However, as it's already been established in the prairie verse, time runs differently here. We cut to late night up in the loft, late night being eight o'clock apparently, and Charles is kissing the girls goodnight. And it is mentioned that they still have not found a home for that last puppy. We are informed that Nellie Olson still wants that puppy, but she is well aware that nobody else can have it. So it seems as though she is the only option. 
Noticing Laura's feelings, Charles states, it's no biggie. It can stay here. It's got you and Jack. It's not right sending that pup home to a house it wouldn't be happy in. Thanks, Pa. There's a knock-knock at the door, and there's no punchline. It's only the Anders showing up. The Anders are explaining how they'll take care of the boys. There is no mention of Alicia. At this time, Charles states that he has no intention of splitting up the Sanderson siblings. He understands it's not practical for the Anders to take on three new children. And at this point, Silva Anders mentions she wouldn't mind having a girl. But those thoughts are immediately shut down by Mr. Anders. Having been heard out, they thank Charles for his time and leave. And Caroline, looking through that thin veil of sympathy, throws out some shade. She says that those boys are working aid and are most likely just going to be free labor. And well, thank you. Next. Charles and Caroline continue to discuss the difficulties they face by placing all three children together. And Caroline states, don't be discouraged. But I realize it is hard to take courage sometimes. And this is the Ingalls, so they're going to do everything they possibly can. It just might take some time. We cut to Mr. Edwards and Grace Snyder, who have just tucked the Sanderson siblings into bed. She mentions how the boys haven't slept in three days, and Mr. Edwards states, It's going to feel as though they will never sleep again. As a soft reminder, we are well aware Mr. Edwards has already dealt with some loss of his own. Finishing up their conversation, Mr. Edwards is about to head back home, and that's when Alicia comes out of the room. She can't sleep. Mine you know, the puppy, has wet the bed. And Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards both start to laugh. Alicia is surprised. You're not mad at him, are you? And of course they're not. It's a puppy. It's just a baby. Heading into the room with some fresh sheets, Mr. Edwards fix up the bed and tucks Alicia into the bed with the puppy, then offers to make a small bed so the puppy can sleep next to Alicia until it is housebroken. At this time... Alicia reaches out with both hands and strokes Mr. Edwards' beer slash chin. It's rather cute. And Mr. Edwards gets up to leave. Grace Snyder, out in the living room, mentions, You left the pup in there? Which he confirms that he did, and then mentions that, I'm gonna go sleep in the barn tonight. He then mentions the promise he has just made to make a small bed for that puppy. On his way out the door, he hands over those soiled sheets to Grace Snyder and starts singing his old Dan Tucker. We cut to the Ingalls, possibly the next day, and Charles is arriving home from the Nelsons. And it's a no-go for them. They're trying to have one of their own. And we are now informed it has been four weeks since Julia Sanderson has passed away. And well, they're running out of options. But Caroline informs us that their kids are happy with Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards is spoiling them rotten. Plus, he has now taught them how to spit farther than any other children in the Hero Township. And from there, we cut over to the Sanderson estate and Mr. Edwards is up in a tree building a house and he's almost done. That's when the boys mention that, well, that fort is missing a door. He knocks down part of the wall and says... Well, you now have a king-sized door. That's when Charles and Caroline arrive. Mr. Edwards sets the boys to task to find some more nails as Charles and him discuss how to keep it together, it being the Sanderson siblings. It is also mentioned that the kids and Mr. Edwards have been MIA from school and work. Charles assures him it's okay to miss a little bit. This whole situation is a little rough and it's hard to be focused on things such as work and school. And at this time, the boys return with those supplies and Mr. Hedwards sets back to work. We cut to Charles entering the mercantile and he needs a one pound bag of two penny nails. Hmm, that's like asking for a big bag of little donuts. As Mr. Olson sets to task getting those two penny nails, Harriet Olson asks if she can have a conversation with Charles, you know, just a moment. And that is when Harriet introduces her cousin, Minerva Fransworth. Harriet Olson has also talked with the Anders and has come to the conclusion that she doesn't believe that Charles will be able to find a home for all three children. That's why she went ahead and wrote her wealthy cousin. And according to Harriet, Minerva Fransworth is young, 
about my age and never married. And according to Minerva, well, Harriet's right about two things. I'm wealthy and I've never married. However, I am not young. She even calls herself a lonely spinster. Aware that the Anders still want to adopt the boys slash get free labor, Minerva states that she would like to adopt Alicia. She claims that she can offer her advantages no one here would be able to offer her. She could get an education in the States or abroad. Minerva wants a child and an heir. Harriet Olsen tries to throw in a few extra words, and that's when Minerva states, I think I hear the tea kettle, and Harriet Olsen leaves the scene. With Harriet Olsen out of the way, Minerva Fransworth states that she would like to meet the child and does ask Charles to think about the situation. And from there, we cut to late night in the barn, and Charles is holding on to that last puppy. And according to Caroline, who has come out to check on him, he's been out there for an hour. Holding on to that puppy, Charles is perplexed. Why is it such a hard time finding a home for this last puppy? Caroline mentions the Minerva Fransworth proposal, and she's starting to feel as though they're coming to no other option but to split the children up. And wow, Charles raises his voice. He's upset. And that's when he says, For the first time in my life, I wish I was rich, and I could tell everyone off. And from late night in the barn, we cut to a picnic after church on Sunday, where Minerva Fransworth is meeting Alicia. Grace Snyder and Caroline are busy cleaning up the dishes, and Mr. Edwards and Charles are coming out of the bushes. For once, Mr. Edwards is silent. In the background, all the kids are playing together in the pond, while Minerva Fransworth is watching from a log. At this time, Mr. Edwards grabs a bucket, but no mop, and heads to get some water, and he passes Minerva Fransworth, who is holding mine, you know, the puppy. She offers to help fetch some water, and we get a very short no ma'am from Mr. Edwards, and that's when Minerva flat out asks, have I done anything to offend you? Once again, Mr. Edwards responds with a no ma'am, but it's 100% not believable. She is well aware that his attitude towards her is, of course, in regards to Alicia, but he states, well, I haven't said anything to you all day. And Minerva Fransworth calls him out and states that his silence speaks for him. And then he finally responds with, there's more to a child than a big house and a lot of money. Probably aware that this was going to be his response, Minerva Fransworth states, even rich people can love. Mr. Edwards is acting as though this is not affecting him, but it totally is. While feeding the horses, Charles inquires, well, what do you think of Minerva Fransworth? Alicia has taken a liking to her. And at this point, Mr. Edwards just stares into space and really not knowing how to respond, Charles, what do you expect me to do? And Mr. Edwards shakes his head. It doesn't matter. You made up your mind. But I think it's the wrong answer. He continues with, You've always had a family, and you don't know what it's like to be alone. But I do. And this is when he finally mentions his wife and daughter. And when they passed away, part of him also died. He concludes with, It's lonely when lying in bed at night and listening to the silence. You pray to hear the sound of a loved one sleeping. At this point, they agree to disagree. They have both made their choices. We cut to the Olsons slash Mercantile as Charles is bringing Minerva back. And the first thing I have to mention is Minerva Fransworth's hat is amazing. And two, she wants to adopt Alicia. She mentions that she has promised the Olsons that she'll be staying until Thanksgiving. However, she would like to return home the day after with Alicia. And well, I guess it's November. And Charles, with a slight wobble in his chin and tears starting to form in those eyes, agrees to the plan and promises to help get things ready. We cut to Charles visiting the gravesite of Julia Sanderson, which overlooks the Sanderson estate. And we cut to inside where Mr. Edwards is playing that harmonica and with the children dancing around Grace Snyder. And as they continue to dance, the shadow of Charles comes into the doorframe. John Jr. is the first one to stop clapping hands, which is then followed by everyone else. Charles takes a moment to speak with the children in their room, 
and those children are standing tall and proud. He relays how he made the promise to try to find them a home, and the challenge it has been trying to find a home that will prevent them from splitting up. But they have run out of time, and he states that the boys will go to live with the Anders, and Alicia will be heading off to Minneapolis with Minerva Fransworth. The only thing missing is the tears from Charles's eyes, but you can tell he would be crying, and he states that he is sorry that he has failed. John Jr. steps forward and states, Ma said to listen to you. She said you knew best. We know that you tried, and we'll be all right. Leaving the children in the bedroom and heading past the living room to outside, without even looking at Mr. Edwards and Grace Snyder, Charles says, after church on Thursday, and leaves. We cut to the end of a school day, and Nellie Olsen is screaming and running after Laura. She wants that puppy so badly, and Laura is ignoring her. When Nellie Olsen finally catches up, she states that I will buy the dog for 50 cents. Laura, being adamant, it's not for sale. And Nellie Olsen, always needing to know, then why not? Why can't I have him? She continues how her mom said it is now okay for her to have the dog, since Minerva Fransworth will have a puppy of her own. This gets Laura to stop in her tracks. What? Nellie Olsen continues, Alicia's puppy is going with Alicia to Minneapolis. At this point, the girls are a little excited. The Sandersons have been adopted? And that's when Nellie Olsen finally spills the tea. No, just Alicia. Mary and Laura exchange glances and leave Nellie Olsen in the dust who is still trying to get ownership of that puppy. And we cut back to the Ingalls house, where Charles is at the table cleaning his rifle, as Carrie is watching, and Mary comes in and doesn't even respond to Charles's hello. And when pushed, why not? She turns around and falls into Charles's arms, crying. She understands the hard choice that he just had to make, but it's really hard for her. She confesses she's just sad. Noticing Laura is not in the room, Charles inquires where she is at, and we are told she is in the barn. And out in the barn, Laura is grooming that puppy, and when Charles comes out, she's a little short with him. No pun intended. She continues that there's no need to explain, and that she's in a hurry because she has to get the puppy to town. And she states that she is going to give that puppy to Nellie. And Charles is confused. But, but what you said. Without even looking at her dad, Laura states, it doesn't matter as long as he has a home, any home. P.S. She is not yelling, but her voice is getting louder. At which point she takes that puppy and runs off. We cut to Caroline, trapsing in the woods, and she finds Laura with the puppy at Willow Lake, or is it Grover Oaks? And well, Caroline knows what's up. You're giving that puppy to the Olsons out of anger. And that's not what Charles is doing. She continues with, Life is full of tough decision-making, and your pa had to make one of those choices. He made a promise. He didn't have to, but he did. Because friendship is dear. She continues that Charles is doing what is best for their future. And the Sandersons are not crying or angry. They're just worried for Charles. They understand that they'll be fine, and they know how hard it was for Charles to be this decision maker. And you should try to understand it too, Laura. At which point, Laura breaks down and apologizes. And Caroline explains that she knew Laura was just angry and that she was not going to go to town. And Laura's surprised. How did you know? Well, I came to your favorite place first. Caroline then mentions how Charles is out in the field distracting himself and wanting to make amends. Laura wants to know, what do I say? And Caroline concludes with, you don't have to say anything. Just go to him. And we cut to a wide shot of Charles in the distance plowing the field and Laura heading over to him. And again, it's a wide shot, so we're not going to hear anything. But it is a touching scene from a distance. We cut to Mr. Edwards sitting next to Grace Snyder in silence. Grace Snyder is just making chit-chat as she is working on a sweater 
for Alicia. She mentions how it won't be finished in time and how she'll have to send it in the post. And looking over at her, Mr. Edwards states, you're quite a woman. And he continues with how he admires her for what she has done for these children. And Grace Snyder, taken aback, says, well, what about you? You've spent so much time out here, I'm afraid folks are beginning to talk. They both confess that they will miss the children. But Mr. Edwards states, what's done is done. At this time, the bedroom door opens up and the kids all come out and mention how they're all packed up. And they've come to say thank you and we'll miss you. Niceties are exchanged and the kids are once more sent to bed. And Mr. Edwards is struggling with his feelings as he heads outside. From there, we cut to the church and it is that Thanksgiving Thursday and our church service is almost over. However, before it's concluded, Reverend Alden asks the congregation to reach for the hand of a friend or loved one. Feel the strength come from caring. And he starts to read Psalms 100.1 to 100.5. As he is reading this, the camera, we go from seeing the entire congregation to a close-up of Alicia's hands. And they unclasp themselves, and one of them reaches for Mr. Edwards' hands. And well, putting that little hand onto his, Mr. Edwards looks down, and you can almost wonder if he's saying, I got you, babe. And when that is over, the congregation gets up to leave. Outside, Mr. Edwards is the last one to leave the building, and looking down from the top of the stairs, he sees the Anders, the Ingalls, Harriet Olson and Minerva Fransworth, and the Sanderson siblings next to Grace Snyder. The kids request a moment for themselves so that they can say goodbye, and it's all whispers, but I believe it's all being carried on the wind because everyone hears the goodbyes. And when they're finished, they come back and announce they're ready. Minerva Fransworth is the first one to make a move and instructs Alicia to come here. And Alicia turns and buries her face into John Jr.'s side. And then from atop the stairs, Mr. Edwards lets out a, no, it ain't right. And well, all eyes are on Mr. Edwards. And he confesses how mad he is at himself and how he's been alone because of his own choices. And maybe it was out of guilt or fear. I don't know. And looking at the Anders, as well as Minerva Fransworth, Mr. Edwards states, it's nothing against anyone but he feels as though the kids should stay together. And well, we get an impromptu marriage proposal because Mr. Edwards feels it's important if they're gonna have a family. And then he states out loud to Grace Snyder, widow, postmistress, foster parent, and doula, I love you. You hear that? I'm not afraid to say it no more. And I love these kids too. And I'll do my best to make you happy. And looking over at those kids, Grace Snatter replies, I'll do the best I can too. And well, it's no time like that present. Although we just had a marriage proposal, Reverend Alden states, let's head back inside and have a wedding ceremony. And Reverend Alden is ready to do this because there is a turkey over at Miss Amy Hearn's and it would be a sin to let it overcook. And Harriet Olson, slightly disappointed that things did not go according to her plan, states, Well, what do you call a proposal like that? And Minerva Fransworth just says, I call it beautiful. And well, this is a 180 degree difference from how this episode started. With the ceremony complete, the newlywed couple kiss. Alicia steps forward, tugs on Mr. Edward's jacket, who then picks her up, and she proceeds with both of her hands to stroke his beard and his chin. Mr. Edward pulls her in close for a tight embrace. We get a freeze frame on Alicia's smiling face and a voiceover of Julia Sanderson repeating the Remember Me poem. Ugh, I have to admit, there were a lot of goosebumps watching this episode and even recording this podcast. There are a few anecdotes in both Melissa Gilbert and Melissa Anderson's autobiographies about this episode, both of them mentioning how guest star Patricia Neal was one of the few people on Little House on the Prairie to get their own trailer. 
And no, if you're not aware, it wasn't because she was some sort of diva. She was actually recovering from a stroke. So reading about that after watching the show, it does make me want to go back and rewatch the first part. In addition to having her own trailer, she was one of the few people to also get a teleprompter. And Patricia Neal delivered one heck of a performance. And I know this is probably common knowledge, but in case you are unaware, it's my job to share it with you. Kylie Richards is the actress that played Alicia, who also happens to be the younger sister of Kim Richards, who played Olga Nordstrom back in Town Party Country Party. With both of them being on another TV show that I have never watched, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And of course, according to Melissa Anderson and Melissa Gilbert's autobiography, their chaperone from time to time was their older half-sister, Kathy Richards. And in addition to the rest of Kathy Hilton's accomplishments, she would also become the mother of Paris and Nikki Hilton. I know that doesn't seem like substantial trivia to actually pull from this episode. It was just surprising to read about these seven degrees of separation of Walnut Grove. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. So as you can tell from the beginning of this episode, I'm a friend of animals. So animal cruelty is definitely one of those things that makes me squirm. And like I said, I've watched a lot of different things over the years on television, cable networks included. I've seen plenty of actions of men versus men, women versus women, and so forth. And again, doesn't phase me. But this opening scene resonated for a while. Let's say that. And we can't deny that back in the day of the prairie, this might have been a common practice. And sadly, it could continue to be one nowadays. So let's move forward and away from that thought. A lot of stuff happens in this episode. Of course, none of it until the very end. We finally get that marriage between Grace Snyder and Mr. Edwards, followed by an increase in the cast. And at the end of the episode, we also learn it's November because it's Thanksgiving. So that means that the first half of this episode was taking place in October at some point. So bear with me. Does that mean that the campout episode took place over Labor Day weekend? Sadly, that's not true because Labor Day did start in the 1880s. It shouldn't have been much of a shocker that these two were going to get married. It was alluded to a few times earlier in the episode. So congratulations on those nuptials. I guess more than anything, the big question that lingers in my mind is what did John Sanderson do to help Charles out? And again, how long have they known each other? Charles mentions that John Sanderson had done many things for him over the years. Again, plural. I also appreciate how they continue Laura's fear of death into this episode when it was first introduced way back in If I Should Wake Before I Die. And speaking of which, Miss Amy Hearn is still around. I think I need to go back through my notes and actually count how many times she has been mentioned in this season. So we see that they can keep characters around even if they are never on screen. And although the population of Walnut Grove isn't big, I think it would have been a good idea if the writers, Michael Landon in this episode, would drop the Anders name earlier. So that way it's not just a big surprise when they show up out of the blue. Kind of like the Sandersons. For me, it would just kind of help establish that this community is watching out for one another. Take example the Nelsons who we find out in this episode are trying to have a child of their own. Do you know how many times they were mentioned in season one? I didn't get a full tally, but I left off at six times that that family was mentioned in season one. And I have to say, I feel as though I have met the Nelsons, even though they've never been on screen. But speaking of things that are on screen, let's talk about this week's Little House moment. And that goes to the scene where Mr. Edwards and Charles are having their discussion about what is best for the children during their picnic. We always see Mr. Edwards as kind of the comic relief, the sidekick. But here, we haven't seen a real emotional side of Mr. Edwards since his homecoming. So it's nice to see that there's another lair for this gentleman. He finally really lays it out of how he's been feeling so alone for so long, due to his own choices, however. 
we actually see the most growth from him in this particular episode, going from being a spalpeen bachelor to a married man who immediately has a family. I've talked about in other episodes how we see certain characters start off one way and then we don't really know what happens to them to make them change, but they do. Talking to you, U.S. Marshal Jim Anders. Oh, there's another Anders. But we see his interaction with these children, and this scene in particular really demonstrates that. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. I want to admit, I off the bat was giving this a five bonnet rating because I had enjoyed it so much. However, now, unfortunately, in discussing it, I am going to bring it down just a little bit, mostly because we don't really know the strong relationship between the Sandersons and the Ingalls. It's either that or apparently Charles is just a sucker for people on their deathbed, even if they're faking their own death, Miss Amy Hearn. And although they have repeated names of certain characters who have been on screen once or twice before, I mean, I wouldn't mind an update on how the newborn Coulter baby is doing, or to hear what else Jon Stewart is doing since he's off the wagon, but why not use that in reverse, just dropping names and then introducing characters in later episodes? So it just made some things feel a little insincere. But what I love the most is that we finished this episode on Thanksgiving. And that is why I am going to give this episode, Remember Me, Part 1 and Part 2, 4.75 bonnets. And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode, and I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you might have about this episode or any previous episode. You can reach out to me through the Instagram account or Gmail account from Plum Creek with Love. And thank you, listeners, for those of you who have followed, like, subscribe to this podcast. A special extra thanks if you have managed to share this with a friend of yours. And I hope that wherever you are at on this planet, I hope you're doing well. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Yeah.